Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Henderson MB Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information on our church, visit hendersonmbchurch.com. There's a story that, that's been all over the, the news in the last few days, and, and perhaps you've seen it, and it's um, a fascinating story, kind of a complicated story. Um, but what happened was um, a little there, it, a trial uh, was taking place, and uh, what happened was is that a police officer came home, uh, was very tired from their shift, and walked into the wrong house, or tried to walk into the wrong house. Um, and saw a person in their house, thought it was an intruder, when in fact it was just the person who lived there, um, and thinking it was an intruder, she shot the person and killed him. And just, and I remember when it first came out on the news, I mean, just brutal story uh, and all kinds of complexities as well, too. Um, The police officer was white, the person who shot was black, and so there's a lot of racial uh, stuff that was coming up as, as well, and so... Um, but uh, the trial was just wrapping up. She was found guilty, and um, so they were uh, preparing for the, the sentencing then. So after you're found guilty, then, you know, so how much time in prison should this person share and that kind of thing. And, and so uh, family members um, get up, and, and they, they share a victim impact statement, which is just a time to share just kind of the loss and, and the grief that they've shared and experienced, and, and I'm sure some of it's um, pretty... Um, bitter and, and that kind of thing but this this story is is just been making the rounds 18 year old uh brant jean i, I think i'm pre- saying his, his last name right um brother to the the young man who was killed uh and l- let me read to you some of like these are quotes of what he said during his his victim impact statement he says i hope you go to god with all of the guilt And if you are truly sorry, I can speak for myself, I forgive you. And I know that if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And if you watch the video, like, he's uncomfortable. Like, he does the collar thing, like, multiple times. Like, he's squirming around. Like, I mean, this this is not an easy thing. He goes on to say, he goes, I love you just like anyone else, and I'm not going to say that I hope you rot and die just like my brother did. I personally want the best for you. He goes on, I wasn't even going to say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because that's exactly what uh, Botham would have wanted. And that, that's his brother who was killed. And then he says, give your life to Christ. I think that giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that, that Botham would, would want you to do. And then he asked the judge if he can give her a hug. And he had to ask her twice. And forgiven people do not give small hugs. <laughs> and, there, and there's all kinds of complexities to this story and, and issues of, of, of justice and how were things handled properly. And, and I recognize that. And, and the other thing, too, I mean, forgiveness is separate from healing, and that's for separate from reconciliation, and that's for, for different from earthly justice, and that's different than restored trust. I mean, there's sometimes we lump all these things under forgiveness, and it's really unhealthy. Those are actually all, all separate things. And, and, and we're not going to get all that. But just his act of forgiveness to, to someone who without cause killed his brother is just, like, it's remarkable. Like, it's just absolutely 
remarkable. And so when I tell you this morning that the gospel is for everyone, like it's for everyone. It is for Jew and Gentile. It is for black and white. It is for the Irish and the German and the Swiss and the Mexican and the Puerto Rican. It is for, and this is such a crazy sentence to say, the gospel is for the person who killed your family member. The gospel is for the person who has wronged you so deeply that you will have lifelong scars. The gospel is for the pedophile and the robber and the murderer and the alcoholic and the gambler and the adulterer. But the gospel is also for the good kid, the kid who never does anything wrong, the well-behaved church kid, the kid who always follows the, the rules. Because no one has relationship with God based on their good behavior. Anyone who has relationship with God has that relationship because they received grace from God and they, they accepted that, that gift of salvation. Uh, we are in Acts 10. We're in a sermon series called We Are Acts 29. We've been uh, uh, looking at, at the book of Acts, uh, kind of walking through it. Um, the book of Acts has 28 chapters. And so we are living out the 29th chapter. And so that's why we're calling the sermon series We Are Acts 29, because we're, we're getting to live out this 29th chapter of Acts. And, um, and today we're, we're, we get to see where the gospel really kind of jumps in, in, into the land of the Gentiles. And we'll explain more of that a little bit. But um, I'm going to read uh, sections of this and, and then give you kind of an explanation, and then we'll have some, uh, some application at the end. Um, second graders, I am in page 1,211. And as I go through this, I want you to underline a word you really like. But then you've got to tell mom and dad why you underlined it. Uh, let me read some of this uh, to you. So um, Acts 10, uh, just starting at verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a, centuri a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household. He, he gave alms generously to the people. He prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, so that'd be like three o'clock in the afternoon, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. Uh, he is lodging with Simon the Tanner, uh, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants, a devout soldier uh, from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Right. So a uh, story opens with Cornelius. Cornelius, good guy, nice guy. Um, he is a centurion, so he's in charge of about 100 men, 100 Roman soldiers, pretty high-ranking dude. Um, he's devout, he fears God, he's generous, just lot, lots of, you know, praise continually. Um, you may remember, actually, we had a gentleman by the name of Ali who, who spoke here a while ago, and, and he unpacked this in such a fascinating way because he said that really Cornelius meets all the standards of being like the perfect uh, Muslim follower. And so... Um, he, he, he talked through that. Um, but, but even when you're super religious, it's not enough for salvation. Uh, only Jesus can save. Your good behavior doesn't save. And, and 
So that's what we see here. But So Cornelius has this vision. An angel appears to him. Every time an angel appears to someone, people freak out. I, I don't know if you've noticed that pattern, but like no one's just like, oh, it's an angel. Well, I mean, let's have... I mean, if they know it's an angel, they just it's just kind of panic mode. Um, and the angel tells them to send for this Peter, tells them where to find him, and so... Cornelius sends a couple guys to, uh, to go find this Peter. Takes them two days to get there. The next day, so I'm in verse 9, the next day as they were on their journey and they were approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. So that's noon. Uh, he became hungry. He wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and then the thing was taken up into heaven. So, Next day, um, the, the trio, they're, they're uh, approaching um, uh, Joppa, um, and uh, Peter is up on the roof. He's waiting for lunch to be prepared. He has this vision, and this sheet thing, right, comes down from the sky, and, and a voice from heaven says, you know, it's time for barbecue, son. Like, let's, you know, let's dig in on this stuff. Um, and Peter is just horrified. He says no. And here's why, a little bit of history on this. Old Testament. Moses, early on, wandering around in the desert, God gives the Israelites very strict dietary rules. You eat this, you don't eat that. You eat, and there's this kind of this whole protocol that's given. Now, um, today we can look at that list, and pretty much everything on that list is in one of two criteria. Either one, it was unhealthy or is dangerous to eat. Uh, pork. Right? I mean, undercooked pork. And it's not really a thing today, but there for a while you eat undercooked pork, and there's like this little parasite thing that could get in your muscles and whatnot. So you don't eat undercooked pork, right? Um, jackrabbit. They weren't supposed to eat jackrabbit. If you eat only jackrabbit, it pulls the vitamin C out of your system and you die of scurvy, right? So, but God, rather than saying, all right, so there's this thing called scurvy, and a thing called vitamin C. And you'll eventually be able to get his Flintstones, but that, that's getting ahead of this movie, right? But rather than go all of that, he's just like, look, don't eat the rabbits, okay? Um, or, so, I, so I, either it didn't fit that way, or it, it copied a, um, like a religious practice that some of the surrounding nations would do. So, for instance, one of them is, you know, don't cook a, a baby goat in its mother's milk. Huh? Right? Well... That was kind of a pagan practice that, that some of the other countries around them would do as part of their kind of worship service type thing. So he said, look, that resembles too much of how they behave, so don't, don't do that. So everything kind of fits into the, these two different categories. But, um, but in Peter's time, and I mean, you know, I mean, we, based on this, we know that, that we can eat everything. But in Peter's time, all these food commands were still in place, Right? And this was the word of God. This was not to be trifled with. And so when, when this whole event happened, it went contrary to about 2,000 years of good biblical teaching. And you don't just give up 2,000 years of good biblical teaching on a whim, right? Like, that's worth sort of wrestling around for, for a little bit. 
Uh, Peter has this happen three times. It's really confusing. And then this, this trio from Cornelius shows up. Uh, verse 23, the next day he rose, Peter rose, went with them. Some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. I believe there was a total of six who went. On the following day, they entered Caesarea. It takes them two days to get there. Cornelius was expecting them, had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I'm a man, get a hold of yourself. Um, as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered there. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. So, so the next day, Peter, his buddies, they get up, they travel. Uh, like I said, it, it's two days to get there. They show up, and Cornelius has called everybody. Family, friends, they're all in the house, they're waiting. And I love it because Cornelius has no idea what Peter's going to say. All he knows is that it's from God. And so for him, good enough, bring in everybody. I mean, he just, he, he has no idea what, Pe- he's never met Peter. He doesn't know what's going to go on. But this is a word from the Lord, and God can be trusted. So, so bring all the relatives, bring all the neighbors, and we're going to sit and we're going to listen to what Peter has to say. Love that part of the story. Uh, when Peter arrives, he begins to understand more and more of the vision. Because it's not just the food that the Jews considered unclean, it's all the Gentiles as well. So, little definition on those terms, right? So, if you were Jewish, if you were part of the nation of Israel, then from their perspective, like, you were good to go, and you were part of the people of the Lord, because they considered anyone from that nation a, a people of the Lord. And anyone who wasn't Jewish, anyone who wasn't an, an Israelite, was a Gentile. So, I don't know if you know, but that's probably most of us, Okay. Um, so Gentiles, just the whole rest of the world and the whole rest of the world are all unclean and uncommon and you weren't supposed to eat with them and go within their house and that kind of thing. And, and you see those things, uh, happen through kind of throughout the old Testament. Some of these things that come up, it, it's <laughs> today, we would call it almost like a state sponsored or church sponsored racism, <laughs> like where it's like, there's us and we're holy. And then there's the rest of the world and you're all unclean and I can't even go in, in your house. Right. So Peter walks into this house, which was a no-no to begin with. Peter walks into this Gentile house. It's full of foreigners and Gentiles, right? Like the snack tables covered in bacon and jackrabbit, you know. And, and it's as if God, like he's starting to understand God's message to just say, Peter, look around. Like, like I have made all this, and because I made it, it's good. You do not call something common or unclean something that that I have made. These people have just as much right to the gospel as you do. Ten years have passed. That's the estimate. Ten years have passed from this moment as compared to Pentecost when that first message of, you know, take the gospel to to Jerusalem and Samaria and to the ends of, of the earth. Ten years have passed from that moment until now. And they're just now seeing this 
kind of cross the line and into the realm of, of the Gentile world. Cornelius, uh, you know, explains his angel story to Peter. This is how Peter responds. He goes, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So Peter, like Peter starts to get it. He, un- he is beginning to understand that the gospel is for everyone. Um, Peter starts to, to share the gospel with him. He doesn't even have a chance to, to finish it, like his, his talk or his, it, it's not a sales pitch, but whatever. Like, I mean, his, like his evangelism pitch. Like, he, he, he gets into it, and before he has a, a chance to complete it, I mean, people are obviously believing, but the Holy Spirit falls uh, just in force and, and is proof that it is the Holy Spirit. All these people are starting to speak in tongues, and it's just this undeniable kind of objective truth that the gospel is available to everyone. Peter's companions are absolutely amazed. Uh, they're starting to understand that the gospel's for everyone. And so they just, they're kind of like, well, I guess we should baptize them. So everyone gets baptized then after that. Peter stays with them for several days. We, we don't know how long. It, it just says that he stayed with them for some time. And he continues to teach them about Jesus. Ironically, Word of this um, makes it back to Jerusalem and the other Jewish leaders that Peter went into the house of the Gentiles and he shared with them. And they criticized him. Which is just, it, it's, it's fascinating in kind of all the wrong ways. We, I mean, how many good ministries, new ministries are, are being criticized by, by people who, you know, are, don't know all what's going on so th- these people begin to criticize Peter. Peter shows up and he has to explain it, justify it to him. When he gets to the part about the Holy Spirit, then they all then then they're all like believe. Then then they begin to understand. Oh, the gospel is really for everyone. A few observations uh, on this. One of the things that that you have to remember is that. We're pretty open and honest about our belief that not all religions are the same, that, that not all religions are, are, are equal. And that, that's not being arrogant, that's just being academically honest to what the text says and, and to what the other uh, texts say. And, and those that are academically honest, even in other religions, feel the same way. I mean, just logically, philosophically, not all religions can be equal, not all can be true. They, they make too many exclusive claims, and it just doesn't work. Uh, Tim Keller, um, brilliant mind, pastor, author, theologian, all kinds of great quotes, that kind of stuff. Uh, really smart guy. Um, he's on a panel with a Jewish rabbi and a Muslim imam, right? Sounds like I'm about to tell a bar joke, but I'm not. Um, so the, this pastor, the Jewish rabbi, the Muslim imam, and, and they're on this, this discussion panel at the New School of Social Research in New York. And at one point in, in the conversation or in the discussion, he, he says this. He says, if Jesus is not just another prophet showing us how to find God, but is actually God come to find us, then Christianity would have to be the superior religion. It would have to be a better way of finding God if it's actually God coming to find us. 
on the other hand, if what Jesus said is not true, then Christianity is an inferior religion. It would actually be a blasphemous religion. And Jesus would either be deranged or a fraud. So Christianity is either far better or far worse than religion, but it's not the same. Right? So if you guys follow that, right? If Jesus really was God, then Christianity is the superior religion. If Jesus was not God, then he's, then he's a fraud, he, he's a crazy man, and, and it's an inferior, uh, he uses the word blasphemous religion, right? So it's either far better or far worse. The Muslim cleric and the Jewish rabbi both agree with him. Absolutely. They say, yes, if Jesus was God, then Christianity is the best. Both of those would actually say, though, that Jesus was a prophet. I mean, so that's, that's what the difference is. The students or the audience freak out on them. They're like, no, 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 no. You can't say that. You're all equal. And all three of them respond with this sentiment. This is how, how Tim Keller writes. He, he says that all three of them responded with this attitude. They, they said, how dare you violate us? Like, you're not listening to us. This is who we are. You cannot say all religions are equal. All three of them were, were in agreement on this. Imagine it this way. Imagine there's a mountain. All of us are at the base of a mountain, okay? Several trails appear to go up the mountain. God is, you know, he's at the top of the mountain. And it says, Jesus has come down from the top of the mountain. He says, take this trail. This is the one that actually gets you to the top. Now, if you were to say, you know what? Like, I just, I don't know which religion is true. I, I don't know which trail to trust. Like, that's a, that's a fair statement. That's a statement of humility. That, that's a good statement. That's a fair statement. But if you say all trails lead to the top um, or none of the trails or whatnot, then what you're implying is that actually that you have ascended to this place not only above the mountain but actually above God himself and that you've had a chance to look down on the mountain and that you are verifying which trails do and, and don't reach the, the, the summit and none or above or all of them. And you know all the paths to God because you have actually been above God. I didn't come up with that on my own. That, that's some other clever guy came up with that. And, and, and to, to, to take that approach, you're, you're actually being dogmatic and, and arrogant and, and rigid, and, and you're presuming that you're actually presuming that, that you have an ultimate view of reality that is greater than all the other religions. You're actually saying that you know more about reality than all the other religions combined. Like, it just, it just doesn't work. I mean, once again, logically, philosophically, like that, that just doesn't hold water. So we are unapologetically advocate this idea that all religions are not equal, that Jesus is God, that as God, only Jesus can tell us the correct path up the mountain, and that Christianity is the superior religion. And we're not being arrogant, we're just being academically honest with what the text says and, and this idea that not all religions can be true. In a few Sundays, um, I, I want to do some teaching on how to listen really well. I was talking with Joanne about this, we were debating whether or not to, to, to do it this Sunday or another Sunday, I think I'm going to do it another Sunday, but just how to ask good questions, how to talk with people, how to get kind of get to the deeper issues of, of life. Uh, Francis Schaeffer once said this. He said, if I only had an hour with someone to, to share the gospel with them, if I only have an hour, 
I'll spend the first 55 minutes asking them questions and find out what is troubling their heart and mind. And then, in the last five minutes, I will share something of the truth. So listening well, being able to hear and understand people's story, it's a critical skill. That said, our ability to listen well isn't really that helpful if we can't even share the gospel. Right? Because we don't know how to interject the truth in the situation. It just makes us a very good listener who then just sends them off, you know, still, still broken. So, so today we're actually just going to talk a, a, about the gospel and, and, and just kind of an easy way to share the gospel, how to remember the gospel. And for this, you need your hand. So I hope you did your nails. Okay. You didn't start the slideshow. Um, and it's kind of, I was going to speak on this two weeks ago. I didn't. I was gone. Uh, but then the high school youth group talked about this, and then I think the uh, children's curriculum is talking about this, and it showed up in my reading at school. So it's just been popping up everywhere. Uh, so that's, that's, that's kind of neat. Thumb. Th- th- this is how you remember the gospel. The thumb is like grace. Okay, if you're a note taker, write this down. Thumb is like grace. It's kind of like, like hitchhiking, right? Like you're looking to catch catch a free ride, you know, that kind of thing. The, 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 the thumb is grace. And that heaven is a free gift. You can't earn it. Uh, you can't deserve it. Um, it is a free gift. Romans uh, 6.23, uh, the free gift of God is eternal life. Uh, it cannot be earned or deserved. Ephesians 2.8.9, uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of your own doing, gift of God, not the result of works. Okay, so that's, that's grace. The index finger would be man or sin. And this one's, remember, because this is how we accuse each other, right? Like, like when you kind of lose your temper and you start, like, pointing at people. You know, and of course there's that kid thing where it's like, well, but you got the three fingers pointing back at yourself, which, yeah, true. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, whatnot. But, uh, but we, when we want to accuse people, we use the, the, the index finger. Um, so, but that, that is just reflective of man, and just our default position uh, in, in a place of sin and separation. Uh, Romans 3.23, all of sin falls short of the glory of God. Matthew 5.48, we would have to be perfect as God is perfect, but we can't be, so we can't save ourselves. So that, that's the index finger. The third finger, you always got to be careful with that one, so it's always this one here. Um, that's, actually, I don't know, we had a, this is, this is kind of totally random, uh, we had a trek team in Mexico, and one of the ways that people would say thank you is they go like this. And they were really offended the first time. Like someone asked them, hey, can we get the whatever? And they're like, oh, no, sorry. And the guy's walking away, and he goes like this. And they're like, <gasps> that was just him saying thanks. <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. All right, so um, the tall finger, that, that's the, the tall one. That, pre- that represents God. Uh, he's the greatest being in the universe. God is merciful. He loves us. He does not want to punish us. Uh, God is love, 1 John 4, 8. But God is just. He must. I mean, our, our sin just forces that, that separation. And so that's, that's kind of our, our situation. Heaven is a free gift, but man is a sinner. And God loves us, and he doesn't want to punish us, but, um, but justice demands it. The fourth finger, the ring finger, that's Christ. Uh, there's analogies in Scripture that talk about Christ and us, you know, and, and the bridegroom. And, and you know, that's, that's where we wear our wedding band. And so it's this sense of, of commitment, of bonded, of reconciled, of united through uh, Christ Jesus, uh, of bridegroom. Um, 
Isaiah 53, Jesus died on the cross and, and rose from the dead to pay our penalty for sin. Uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So that's, that's the, the fourth finger there. That's Christ. And we remember that because that's the ring finger. The pinky finger, smallest finger, faith. Uh, there's the parable that talks about faith as small as a mustard seed. Your, your pinky finger is, is, the, is the smallest finger. And so um, James 2.19 talks about faith. Acts 16 talks about saving faith is trusting in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. So that's the gospel. You, you, you always have it with you right there. Heaven is a free gift. But man is a, a sinner. And, and that's just kind of our default condition. But God is holy and righteous and pure, and he doesn't want to judge us. He loves us, but, but justice demands it. But thankfully, there's Jesus, and, and we have this, this commitment, this, this bonding uh, with him, and that all comes through faith, faith in, in Jesus. So the gospel is for everyone. It's for black, white, Jew, Gentile, good kid, bad kid, victim, and murder. Gospel is for everyone. In Acts 10, we, we see how the gospel makes that first break in, into the rest of the world, into the realm of the Gentiles, which is you and I. And so that's, we're very thankful for that. That's exciting news for us. And the gospel is true. I mean, a- a- academically, a- academic integrity just demands that we admit that not all religions are the same, that one has to be right, the other has to be wrong. And we believe in Jesus, so we're, we're kind of putting all our eggs in that basket. We take his word for it. And the gospel, always with you, of grace, of man, of God, of Christ, and of faith. And so may you experience the gospel in new ways every single day. Let's pray, and then we'll uh, sing before we're dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you so much um, that your gospel is for everyone. Lord, thank you for these remarkable stories appearing in the news of just profound forgiveness. And it's just once again this powerful reminder that the gospel is for everyone, even for those who hurt us so deeply that we will will walk with a limp for the rest of our lives. God, thank you for your truth in Scripture and and all that we can learn from it, even today, 2,000 years later. Because it is your word, it is your truth, and it is timeless and ageless. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at hendersonmbchurch.com or email me directly at Luke at hendersonmbchurch.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.